Hello, and welcome to episode four of From Paper to People, Ancestors Alive Genealogy's new podcast. I am your hostess with the mostest, Carolyn Neelachlan. And before we get into this week's topic, uh, did you notice my hip new theme music? Yeah, I am so excited. My many thanks go to one of my oldest and dearest friends, Kurt Brady, for creating that for me. I'm very, very psyched to have theme music. I feel just official. It's so magic. Anyway, this week's topic is part two of a discussion on folklore. It's about how much fun you can have by recording stories from your elders, no matter how far-fetched the stories may be. So this episode is called The Glory of the Story. Now, last week's discussion was a lot about process. It was a lot about facts. This week, I'm going to go less into the how-tos and more into the sheer fun that comes from encouraging informants to tell their glorious stories. I'm going to give you one of the glorious stories from my family, and I hope that you enjoy it as well. Storytelling in my family is almost a sport. It's part competition. It's part collaboration. You get my dad and my uncle in a room, and it is Katie bar the door, as the ancestors say. They're off to the races. One will recall, the next will add to it, and then the jokes get batted back and forth until the whole room is in tears and in pain from the laughter. Next thing you know, they'll be singing doo-wop and two-part harmony like they did when they were kids. It's fantastic. As the Irish say, it's a rare bit a crack. My great-uncle Gordon was absolutely full of it. You've heard of Blarney? You know, the Blarney Stone, the gift of the gab. His storytelling went one step farther. He came from Irish Texans, who were Irish Pennsylvanians before that, and every story that he told got bigger and better with each telling. The twists and the turns were more dramatic. The identification with famous people or famous events got stronger and stronger. My uncle, Gordon's nephew, was smart about this, and he caught a bunch of Gordon's stories on cassette tape in the 1970s. And then a few years ago, my dad transferred the recorded sessions to CD, so now we have them saved. Now, why is this important if I personally never knew Gordon? We lost touch with his kids and his grandkids because my family moved north and Gordon's family moved east at about the same time. But through the magic of DNA and my obsession with documentary research and my odd fearlessness or nosiness about calling up complete strangers and saying, hey, I think we're cousins, I have found all of Gordon's living descendants. They, in fact, never knew Gordon. He died of a heart attack relatively young, so they've never heard his voice. My uncle and my dad have made it possible for Gordon's descendants to know him, Blarney and all. I just have to edit those MP3 files down to sections, and then I can post them to Family Surge. Because of my uncle's and my dad's forethought and care, the entire extended family can enjoy those recordings forever. Imagine how that feels. You think your grandfather is lost to you, and then someone whom you never even knew existed shows up on your virtual doorstep and says, here, here's your grandfather. And that's how all family items should be. Photos, recordings, facts, recollections. We are not owners of these things. We are merely temporary custodians, caretakers of stories and images and facts for all of our current relatives and for the generations yet to come. And this is so important in the work of genealogy and folklore. It should be about spirit, laughter, love, and above all, sharing. I am very big on sharing data and resources, and I sincerely hope that you are too, because everyone deserves to have access to their ancestors. 
equal access. Last week, we discussed hunting for specific facts to start a tree. And while this week we're talking about pure storytelling, there is an important point that I want to make about storytelling and its incidental value in uncovering facts. One item from Gordon's memory, buried in layers of other stuff, was the fact that our ancestors, who came over from Ireland in 1830, came from Ahanloo Parish in County Derry, and that their home parish church was called St. Aidan's. Gordon recounted this to my uncle about 140 years after the family came over. 140 years. It's absolutely extraordinary. My uncle noted this in his handwritten tree. And my parents and I used that information as a guide when we went to Northern Ireland as a family back in 1982 because it was so specific, we figured there had to be something to it. And it was right. We ended up standing in the ruins of the church, St. Aidan's Church, where my third great aunt, Sarah McLaughlin, was baptized in 1829. And that same year, we went to Northwest Pennsylvania and stumbled upon my third cousin, one time removed, a nun at the parish where the family settled upon arrival in the US. I didn't know she was my cousin. I just went up and knocked on the door of, I don't know, whatever that building is that priests live in. And I asked her for help finding my fourth great grandfather's grave marker only for her to tell me that she too was a McLaughlin. My third great-grandfather was brought over by two brothers. Together, they brought over two more brothers, and eventually, pretty much all of them brought over their parents. The ties that we established in Northwest Pennsylvania in 1982 led to more people finding me, me finding more people, and more data sharing between the two family groups. Decades later, I proved the connection with DNA and the related lore of all of these distant cousins found through the years. Their research and lore matched my family research and lore about the town of Limavati, which is near St. Aidan's Church. So yes, there is factual value in any folklore, as we discussed last week, but frequently you only find it in hindsight. And that's okay, because I want to discuss the joy of plain old storytelling without getting too hung up on facts. Those facts find their way to the surface in stories no matter what. Personally, I have a memory like a sieve. I constantly conflate facts, I misremember, I forget important stuff, and I big up the little things. In other words, I am an Irish American, and I am in my 50s. I have to rely on others to recall things correctly or to recall them at all. So I've started to record audio of my elders the same way that my uncle did with his uncle Gordon. The method is simple, and it's pretty much the same as in episode three. You set up to record audio or video, you test your technology beforehand, ask permission, show up on time, get comfortable. If you want to revisit these specifics, I do invite you to re-listen to episode three, Just the Facts, Ma'am. Ask open-ended questions about locations and events, and be prepared to take notes, just as you would be when you're seeking facts. But here, you're looking for stories, myths, tall tales. You want fluid storytelling from your informant or informants. And if there are names and facts in the story, note them down. Don't stop the flow. At most, ask, and was he your son, or whose wife was she, or whatever it is you need to keep that story straight for yourself. The point of this kind of interview is to get as solid a narrative as you can. You can listen to the recording later on after you've backed it up to the cloud or to an alternate drive, see episode three, to nail down the names and the dates that you need for your tree. 
but to the greatest degree possible, stay out of your informant's way. One great way to approach a session is to ask about holidays or religious celebrations. What do you remember from your childhood Christmases? It's a great question. Another one is, what were your satyrs like in your parents' house? Guide your informant with names and facts that you know or with the bits of stories that you've already heard. And ask about what the family ate or who came by the house, that sort of thing. You want to get your informant to describe all of the texture of the time uh, and, and his life. Another approach is about daily life. Start with questions like, what is your earliest memory? That's a really cool place to start. What was it like living in your hometown? Your dad or your mom a good cook? What time did your parents get home from work? Uh, what sports and clubs were you involved in when you were in school? What did you want to be when you grew up? That's always a good one. And as your informant starts to talk, ask more questions that expand on the theme that you've chosen. You're looking for big picture here. If you already have a few stories, you know a little bit, indirectly ask your informant to talk about those. For instance, my dad and uncle lived in a small Texas town when they were young. My grandfather had died and my grandmother worked, so they spent a lot of their time together entertaining themselves. There are stories about going to the movies, about attempts to get them more involved at church, and all of the stories are absolutely hilarious. All I have to do is say, tell me something about living in Pecos, and I am sure to get great stories. Now, last week, I said I'd reveal the scandalous twists and turns of life in a small Texas town during the Depression, and I will not hold out on you any longer. Joe Pauline Pace was my father's mother's mother, my great-grandmother. She was born in Texas in 1898. She used to tell us how she remembered stories of Pancho Villa's raids from her childhood. That seems like forever ago, but it was in her living memory. And she only died in 1987? No, 1985. I was 20 years old. I have one particular story that she and my grandmother Agnes both used to tell. And I want to share it with you because it illustrates the value of recording stories just as they are. This story from and about Joda and Agnes reveals not only who Joda was, but also how she thought about the world. And you can't hope for anything better from a family story. Without this story, I would be missing an important side of my great-grandmother's character. First off, I want to tell you that I always knew Joda to be sweet, kind, generous, funny, and adventurous. She had the funniest cackle of a laugh I have ever heard. She was gregarious. She liked a highball and going out with the girls, playing cards and dancing. She wore fabulously awful costume jewelry. She talked like a hick, but she was wicked smart about people. She divorced my great-grandfather because he was abusive and a drunk, and she did that in the 1920s, by the way, when people didn't do that. She divorced her second husband because, apparently, he wasn't a whole lot better. Despite her variety of marital hardships, she really liked being married, so she tried again, outliving the third, who seemed to have been a nice guy, though I never met him, and the fourth, whom I knew from their marriage until his death. We called that last husband Opa, which is German for grandfather because he was of German Texas stock, and I think that maybe he actually spoke German. He almost spoke with an accent, even though it, his family had been there for generations. And by the time that they met, Joda was living in a retirement center, and he was moving in. She and her buddies used to take the center's van into San Antonio to go drinking on the Riverwalk. And if you know San Antonio at all, you know that it's full of joints for young people. That didn't stop Joda, though. Nothing did. 
And as soon as she saw Opa across the rec room at the center, she turned to the other ladies in her crew and she said, don't touch him, he's mine. And she, she was right, he absolutely was. She also survived serious pneumonia and a broken back, and she outlived a daughter and a son-in-law by the time she was in her upper 60s. She had a lot of siblings, and the Pace people were a very sociable crew who visited back and forth at one another's houses quite often. Jonah never met a stranger, just a new friend. She was always a real light in my life. I felt like I could say anything around her and like we really understood one another. But there was a slightly darker side to her mischief. In the 1930s in West Texas, the Depression hit hard. My family had no money, everybody had to work, and everybody stuck together to make the most of things. Shortly before my grandfather McLaughlin died, Joda went to visit him and Agnes. My dad was a very little boy at the time. Joda noted that Agnes was wearing an old dress. She asked Agnes, doesn't Jimmy buy you any new dresses? And I guess she wasn't satisfied with the answer because she took herself and Agnes off to a department store to get a new dress. Joda and Agnes each picked out a new dress or two. I don't really know the specifics. And then they went to pay at the cash stand. Joda said that this one was on her, so she made out a check and they left. Now back then, counter checks were literally counter checks. They were blank checks sitting at the cashier's counter and you filled out your name, your bank's name, your account number, and the purchase amount. The department store and the bank took care of the rest of it. What Joda didn't tell the store, or my grandmother for that matter, was that she had no money. So she made up a name and she made up a bank account number. She filled out the check and walked off with free dresses. According to Joda, some 20 years later, a department store detective showed up at her apartment. By this time, she'd remarried at least once, and she was living in Houston. The detective asked for Mrs. whoever the fake name was that she had written on the check, and without missing a beat, Joda said, oh, she died. Just like that, too. She said, she died. The detective went away, and as she told it, Joda never heard from him again. In other words, my great-grandmother... The bon vivant was also a bit of a thief. Now, is this story true? I would say mostly. The part at the end about the detective seems a bit unlikely to me, but with Joda, honestly, you could never tell. She was larger than life. The most important points in the story, though, to me, are these. Joda wanted the best of everything for Agnes. Joda lived big, despite her poverty. And Joda was a scofflaw. Not only did she get away with the theft, she didn't care. We tend to idolize and idealize our ancestors. I never would have thought of Joda as an intentional lawbreaker. But this story serves to humanize her in my memory and inform something that she just can't find from the documentary record. And I will always be grateful for that. So I strongly urge you to record family lore, not only for its factual hints, but also for the pure glory of the story. If you do this, it will draw you closer to your ancestors, enable you to provide future generations with the three-dimensional personalities of living, breathing human beings that those generations will never meet, and it will create records and memories for cousins and other relatives upon whom you will stumble in your genealogical travels. They will all be grateful to you for this, and those you interview will be grateful and feel loved and valued too.
Thanks again for listening. And my thanks again to Kurt Brady for his hip new theme music that he gave me. It's so Irish and delicious. He plays in the Hampton, Virginia area, by the way. You can catch him playing New Country with a band called Nashville Knights, Old School Jazz and Standards with 504 Supreme, and Blues with Kelly Curtis. And if you want him to create and record a theme for you, visit his website at cbradymusic.wixsite.com slash cbrady or email him at curtisbrady at yahoo.com. As for me, I'm around, you know that. You can find me online at ancestorsalivegenealogy.com and on Facebook at Ancestors Alive Genealogy. Follow me on Twitter at Ancestors Alive and on Instagram at Ancestors Alive Genealogy. If you have a request, a dispute, a book recommendation, or you just want to say hi, you can always contact me at ancestorsalivegenealogy at gmail.com. And now you can support this podcast on Patreon and win or earn valuable prizes. Go to patreon.com slash ancestors alive and sign up for any of five support levels ranging from five to $25 per month. Have a great week. Do your research and above all, expect surprises.